very touchy-feely kind of people, and they were patriarchal, and uh, actually Dave Gossett was the patriarch, and he got the honor in that tribe, and uh, he was very well cared for in that tribe. Uh, but the Beta tribe, uh, we learned our language. We have a tribal language, and so I'm going to preach today in our tribal language. <laughs> and uh, here we go. Ba, gana, gana, gana. U, gana, gana, gana. And uh, now, if you did this, it means I don't understand, okay? So there we go. There we go. And uh, we had a great time, but the, the whole purpose of that was uh, not only, as Brad said, to make us perhaps more sensitive to the other cultures that live around us in Grant County, but also as our guests come from Macau. And it's uh, interesting how culturally insensitive I can be at times, and I've traveled around, and yet uh, it's just interesting to be a part of a different culture in that exercise yesterday. So we had a great time together, and you will probably be hearing more about it. If you take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to the table of contents, turn to the table of contents. It should be in the first page if you use a paper Bible. If you use a digital Bible, uh, you'll just have to find your table of contents someplace in your digital Bible. But I want to uh, take a look at the table of contents in your Bibles, in your copy of God's Word. I've always wanted to preach out of the table of contents. I've preached out of the maps a couple of times, and I want to preach out of the table of contents, at least start here this morning. Uh, as you look at your table of contents in the Old Testament, beginning with Isaiah, the rest of the Old Testament is what is called prophetic literature, prophetic literature. You know, there are different types of literature in the Bible. Uh, the Psalms is poetic literature, uh, but this is uh, prophetic literature, prophecy. And there are major prophets and minor prophets, and there are four major prophets who wrote five books the Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, those are considered the major prophets. And the only reason they're called that is because they have written more volume, more material. Uh, their books are longer than the other prophets. Uh, Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. That's why there are four major prophets and five major prophetic books. And then there are 12 from Hosea through Malachi, the rest of the Old Testament, are called the minor prophets because they are shorter. If you do a page count, uh, the minor prophets in total don't even add up to the, the works of Isaiah. There are about the same amount of chapters in the minor prophets as there are in Isaiah, but less page count. But it's interesting, the uh, prophetic books make up about a third of the Old Testament, and yet it's been called the dark continent of the Bible because Rarely do we touch base here. Do we venture in to explore this dark continent? And when we do uh, dip into the dark continent of the prophetic books, it's kind of hard to understand from time to time, and so it's kind of scary. Uh, well, today we are going to be getting a short series because it's a short book on the minor prophet Habakkuk. I'm uh, uh, like Russ. Uh, Habakkuk, 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 Habakkuk. Uh, yeah, it's uh, got uh, lots of extra K's in there, I think. But Habakkuk is uh, how I will be pronouncing it. But we'll be looking at this little minor prophet 
as we begin, and it is an exciting, interesting book and very apropos to our day and age, to our societal uh, conventions that we live in today. Let me pray, and then we will begin looking at this book of Habakkuk. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and praise you that we can praise you, that you've given us lips to sing praises to your songs, that our lives, uh, we have potential to live honor and glory to you. And Lord, thank you that you have called us to worship you, and thank you for each one here as we have gathered this morning on this Father's Day, Lord, that we would honor you, the ultimate and perfect Father, and that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, thank you for your church uh, down through the ages that you have superintended, that you have sustained it, that you have protected it, that you have given us your word. And in our country, we have your word in our own heart language. And Lord, we know that around the world, there are many who do not have that privilege yet. And we do pray for Bible translation teams around the world as they continue to work uh, in the heart language of tribes and nations, Lord, to translate your word into accurate uh, texts of your word to them in their heart language. And Lord, thank you for them. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this team that is going down uh, to Arizona. Thank you for Brad and June and for Marcus and for Grace. And Lord, we thank you uh, for raising them up, them up uh, to make an impact at uh, the Naomi house as they go this next week. We pray for your protection upon them. Pray that they would uh, really be grace givers. And Lord, that you would just... Uh, be a blessing in their life and that they would be a blessing as they go there. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity to work on our personal testimonies. Lord, each one of us has a story. And we pray, Lord, that as we think through that and that you'd help us to be concise, that we would just say the things that you would want us to say. Thank you for the privilege of doing that. Thank you for our guests who are here with us today. Thank you for our family, our church family, for Grace Point and for your faithfulness through the decades and your continued faithfulness to us. We thank you for our community for <clears throat> placing us here. We thank you for other Bible-believing churches in our area. And Lord, we pray for all believers in Euphrates, Soap Lake, and the surrounding area that we would all be growing in Christ this day of life that you've given to us. Thank you for our children, for those who minister to our children downstairs as well as in our nursery. We thank you for the blessing that they are, and we pray that uh, each one would uh, growing Christ today through those efforts and through those ministries. And Lord, for each one of us, that we would be attentive to your word, that you would be honored and glorified, for it's in Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen. So out of those uh, 17 prophetic books, uh, 12 minor prophets, five major prophets, we come to the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk, and uh, just so you know, right up front, it is a book about faith. It is about a book about faith in the midst of great adversity, great difficulty, and perplexity. I've entitled today's message, The Perplexed Prophet, because he is very perplexed, as we shall see. I was reading a work by a philosopher named Nicholas Beale and a scientist uh, named John Pokinghorn, and they used the following story to illustrate what it means to have faith. Uh, they begin, and I quote them, A philosopher, a science, and a simple man, none of whom knew how to swim, were trapped in a cove with sheer cliff faces. They split up and thought, sought to find a way up those sheer cliff faces, but the tide kept coming in. The rescuers knew they were there and lowered a rope with a safety harness on it. 
the philosopher was the first one to see this rescue apparatus, and he said, ah, this looks like a rope, but I might be mistaken. It could be just wishful thinking or an illusion. So he didn't attach himself, and he drowned. The scientist said, ah, this is an 11-millimeter polyester rope with a breaking strain of 2,800 kilograms. It conforms to the MR10-81 standards. And then he proceeded to pontificate and give an exhaustive and entirely correct analysis of the rope's physical and chemical properties. But he didn't take a hold of it, and he drowned. The simple man said, I'm not sure if it's a rope or a tail of a snake, but it's my only chance, so I'm grabbing it and holding on with my whole life, and he was saved. The authors go on to write, of course, all things being equal, it is better to have an enlightened faith of God than an unenlightened faith, but mere intellectual understanding that does not lead to trust and action is not what God is after. Faith leads to trust and action in our lives. We're going to see that Habakkuk asked some very good questions, and his actions, his faith leads to action and trust. In fact, as we go through the book of Habakkuk, and I would encourage you this week, it's just, in my Bible, it's like two and three-quarters pages long. It's not very long at all. You could read it every morning. And the more you read it, the more you will become familiar with this very uh, obscure work in our Bibles. And if you would do that, you will start seeing some patterns in the book of Habakkuk. And uh, he asks some questions, and the questions he asks are some of the most fundamental questions in all in life. The answers provide crucial stones in which to build a proper understanding of God's character and his sovereign ways in all of history. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I get a little impatient with God. I look around at the world situation, the events of these past few weeks, and frustrated that he doesn't do something about evil in the world. You ever felt that way? Uh, maybe there's problems in your family that need a resolution, but there just seems to be no resolution to the relational issues. Or there's illnesses in our physical frame that don't seem to go away. And uh, we come face to face with our own mortality or a loved one's own mortality. Uh, through this prophetic writing of Habakkuk, this Old Testament prophet, we can learn to travel from being perplexed about, God, what are you doing, uh, to peace in our own existence in life. A little bit of background about uh, the prophets. Uh, in the beginning, as Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel, of course, and then Israel desired a king, and they installed Saul as king, and the blessing was passed on to David, and then David's son Solomon uh, was the king of Israel, and it was a united kingdom, but at the end of Solomon's reign, there was civil war, and the kingdom split. And so as you read in the Old Testament, uh, after the division of the kingdom, you will see that there is a kingdom called Israel, which are the northern ten tribes, the northern ten tribes of Israel. And then there's the southern kingdom, which is usually referred to as Judah. Judah was the tribe of Judah and also the tribe of Benjamin formed an alliance and formed what is called the Southern Kingdom. And so these ten northern kingdoms, and of course sprinkled through both of their histories, were a series of uh, e evil and uh, 
un unbelieving kings. There were some good ones also, but for the most part, uh, they were all in spiritual declension. In other words, they were declining in their adherence and love of God. Uh, in 722, God used the instrument of Assyria to take uh, the northern ten kingdoms, Israel, into captivity, uh, not to be regathered again, at least un until in the future. But uh, they were scattered and taken into captivity, and the Assyrians were bad guys. Uh, they were really bad. It makes ISIS look like a Sunday school group. Uh, the Assyrians carried away the northern kingdom into captivity. They would hook iron hooks through their jaws with chains and take them into captivity. These were not nice people. Well, Assyria eventually was defeated, and in the southern kingdom, Judah uh, was where Habakkuk was prophesying. And Habakkuk uh, was appointed by God, ordained by God as a prophet. And remember, a prophet is one who uh, tells forth God's word. In other words, he preaches what has already been revealed, but he also foretells the future. And we see this. And a prophet, according to Deuteronomy, had to be 100% accurate. And every word he spoke that when he said, thus saith the Lord, had to be accurate to what God had told him. Uh, that's why preachers today are not prophets, because otherwise you'd have to stone us, because not every word is 100% from God. Okay? And so Habakkuk was this prophet sent by God, and he asked these questions, and they are questions that are applicable today. He said, why are the wicked prospering in the midst of God's people? You ever ask that? When you look at our culture and society, and it seems like the wicked are just prospering? I mean, you go to any major city, and it appears that way. He also asked the question, why are the righteous beaten down? Why are the righteous held up to derision? And uh, why is God seemingly inactive and indifferent in the day of wickedness? In other words, where are you, God? What is going on here today? In his native Judah, Habakkuk observes the violence and the injustice at every hand, and he cries out to God, and he's perplexed about this. He's perplexed about this whole thing. Look at verse chapter 1, verse uh, 2 here. How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, and you do not save the nation is in spiritual declension. He is there as a preacher of righteousness to tell what God has to say. But it's interesting, in the book of Habakkuk, he is the only prophet. Usually prophets speak to the people about God. Habakkuk speaks to God about the people. Isn't that interesting? That, and you see this, you'll see this dialogue going on where God and he are dialoguing about the current situation in Judah. And God's reply is really shocking, as we will see in the next few weeks. He says, I am going to be sending somebody to discipline you, Judah. And that somebody are the Chal Chal Chaldeans, the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, these guys were worse than the Assyrians. And we'll see a description of them as we go through that. This all is traced back to Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God tells the nation Israel... These two things, if you obey me, I will bless you. But if you disobey me, I will discipline you. And thus begins the highways of prophecy that go all the way through your Bibles to the very last page. This is God's promise to the nation of Israel, and it is carried out, and it is being carried out throughout all of time. 
in God's promise, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will discipline you. So we come to Habakkuk, and we see that God is going to discipline Judah. He is purifying a people for himself. And Habakkuk is ministering during the death throes of the nation. You know, there are some tough assignments in this world, but I am thankful that I personally was not an Old Testament prophet. They had tough, tough assignments. And though he repeatedly called the nation to repentance, God called them to repentance, they refused to change their sinful ways. Look at verse 1 again. It says, and this is the introduction to Habakkuk, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. An oracle means that this is direct from God himself. And the Hebrew word that's used here is masa, and it means burden. There is a weight placed upon Habakkuk. This is the oracle, and this is not fun stuff. Because there are very deep questions that even resonate and echo down through the centuries to our times. Why are the wicked prospering in the midst of God's people? Why are the righteous beaten down? And why is God seemingly inactive and indifferent in the day of wickedness? Habakkuk knew and observed the hard-heartedness of his countrymen, and he asked God, how can these intolerable conditions continue? Now, I don't want to reference the election year, but God, what is going on? I just read an article by a guy who's going to move to New Zealand no matter who gets elected, you know. And uh, I don't know, I don't think that's the answer, but uh, God replies to Habakkuk that he is in control. He is going to discipline his people. He is not out of control. He's not uh, ignorant. He's not asleep of what's going on. And he's going to bring his chastening rod upon the nation. And the announcement that he gives Habakkuk about the Babylonians brings him to his knees. And he acknowledges that just as in any generation, the righteous will live by faith. And that is the theme of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. A great passage, in fact, it is repeated three times or quoted three times in the New Testament, once in Hebrews, and Paul quotes it twice in in Romans. But Habakkuk is one who is really struggling here. And he doesn't understand God's ways, and yet he exercises his faith and he interchanges with God. Just a background, an overview. My purpose today is to introduce this book so that you will have a little bit of a working knowledge of it. As you read it, you will have some better understanding. Habakkuk itself, that name is an unusual Hebrew name. It's very rare. In fact, his name only occurs twice in the whole Bible, here in verse 1 and in chapter 3, verse 1. And he's identified as Habakkuk the prophet. Habakkuk is a Hebrew word which comes out of the verb habak, which means to embrace or to cling. And some speculate that he is embracing or clinging to God, although we don't know the object of the verb. It could be that God is embracing Habakkuk at this time, but nonetheless, he is one who is embraced or is embracing. That's the name of his, that's the uh, meaning of his name. And he chooses to cling firmly to God as we will see at the end of the book. In the introduction and in the closing psalm, which is chapter 3, really this, this, this letter of Habakkuk, even though it's prophetic literature, it comes across more as wisdom and a psalm in chapter 3. 
and the special designation uh, shows that uh, Habakkuk was officially appointed or ordained. He is the only pre-exile prophet to be identified in this way, Habakkuk the prophet. It's a technical usage of that terminology, and so he is appointed, ordained. He is the man of the hour in Judah's time. And he mentions nothing of his genealogy, nothing of his family, his location, but uh, some have tried to identify him with other Old Testament characters, and yet it's a fruitless exercise. We don't know much about Habakkuk. When, when was this book written? When was it written? The only explicit time reference is to the Babylonian invasion, which was an imminent event, which we know when that occurred in 605, when Nebuchadnezzar and the hordes of Babylonia, the Chaldeans, came across the plains. Uh, the most likely date for this book is the early part of Jehoiakim's reign in Judah. Jehoiakim was a godless king who led the nation down the path of destruction. He reigned from 609 B.C. to 597. So it was probably during his reign that uh, Habakkuk wrote. And the Babylonians rose to power in 626. And uh, in 612, they destroyed the Assyrian capital of Nineveh under Nabopolassar. And uh, they were an uncontested world power. They were a superpower of their day. The then-known world trembled. They went on in, I think it was in... <clears throat> 605 to destroy the Egyptian kingdom, and they defeated Pharaoh Necho II, called the Battle of Carchemish. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar's first invasion of Judah occurred in his first year as he reigned, and he deported tens of thousands of Israel's or Judah's leaders into captivity into Babylon. The nobles were oppressed, and they were exported, extorted from the poor, and they were carried away. And uh, since he, since Habakkuk prophesied before this invasion, it's probably in 606, 607, or a year or two before Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed them. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar carried uh, the Judah into captivity, and uh, they suffered 70 years of captivity uh, in Babylon. And the theme, what is the theme of this whole book? I've already mentioned faith is the major theme, the just shall live by their faith. And the circumstances of life seem to contradict God's revelation concerning his power and his purposes. We read about the character of God in Scripture, about him being all-powerful, everywhere present, all-loving, all-knowing, all of those characteristics and those attributes of God. And yet there are times when the struggles of our faith we see that men flagrantly violate God's justice and distort justice on every level and in the fear of, without any fear of divine intervention. And we wonder why God allows growing iniquity to grow, go unpunished. And uh, when God reveals his need, his intention to use Babylonia as the disciplinary force in Judah's life, Habakkuk was even more troubled than the nation that was corrupt as Judah was before him. And Habakkuk sought these answers. So the theme is one of faith. In the midst, when everything looks like it's out of shape, do we still believe God is all-powerful in doing and carrying out his perfect plan? As one writer said, God may be slow to wrath, but all iniquity will eventually be punished. He is the worthiest object of faith, and the righteous man will trust him at all times. 
Some of the keys to this little letter of Habakkuk is the key word is faith, as I've mentioned. Key verses are chapter 2, verse 4. The just shall live by faith. Uh, This verse is easily overlooked in this uh, corner of the Old Testament, but it is significant because it's, as I said, quoted three times in the New Testament, in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. It was a lesson for Habakkuk that we must trust the Lord, have faith, even when we can't understand everything he does or is doing. Those who are righteous, that is, the redeemed, can enjoy God's blessings of security and protection. On the other hand, the ungodly Babylonians faced God's judgment. The key chapter is chapter 3. As you will read this, you will see a change in chapter 3, and it is like a psalm as it begins with prayer and then talks about God's presence, and then there is peace to be had. The word salvation occurs three times in this book, in chapter 3, verse 13, and chapter 3, verse 18. It's the root word in the Hebrew language which the name Jesus is derived from. So we can say Christ appears in Habakkuk. When he comes again, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, chapter 2, verse 14. What is the contribution to our Bibles? Why would it be in here? Why would God include this in what we call our canon of Scripture? Habakkuk, as you will see, was a very daring thinker who openly expressed his doubt to God. He was a man of integrity who was concerned with the character and the program of God himself. Habakkuk's unusually extended dialogue with God, about two-thirds of the book, was initiated by him, by the prophet. Normally, the prophetic process was begun by God. After receiving the divine oracle, Habakkuk transmitted it to the people of Judah. Habakkuk moves from burden to blessing, from wandering to worship, from restlessness to rest, from a problem to God's person, and from complaint to consolation. Uh, This psalm of praise at the end of chapter 3 is one of the greatest psalms in the Old Testament, and it's a magnificent declaration of faith in the character and ways of God, and it has a commonality with Psalm 18 and Psalm 68. Uh, Just a brief overview, I included a chart on your bulletin insert if that's helpful to you. The three major divisions, which are the chapter divisions here, Uh, Chapter 1 is a dialogue with God or an interchange with God uh, where we see Habakkuk previewed God's discipline of Judah. Habakkuk uh, in verses 1 through 4 is in great distress. Let me read those again for you. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? Have you ever been there? (laughs) I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. And notice he's talking about his own countrymen. He's talking about the people of Judah, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin. And he is concerned for them. God has laid it on his heart to be a man of integrity, purity, and one who follows God. And so he's in great distress. He is perplexed because wickedness and violence seem to go unchecked. And so he's asking the question, God, are you really indifferent to this? Are you insensitive to sin and suffering? I think Habakkuk knows better, but in the frustration, in in the heat of the moment, he's asking these questions. 
verses 5 through 11, God discloses his plan. Remember verse 5, look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe even if I told you. And he goes on to tell them that he's preparing this disciplinary action using Babylon to discipline the nation of Judah. And in verses 12 through 17, Habakkuk has a dilemma then. Why would God employ people of iniquity? Babylon is worse than we are. Why are you using them? Why would God endorse a people of injustice? Why would God excuse a people of idolatry? Good question for all of us. Habakkuk then moves emotionally from distress to a dilemma to expectancy of what God would have him communicate in Judah. He records this denunciation from God. It's really a, a dirge that God pronounces upon Babylon. It's an indictment. And in this chapter, in chapter 2, there are five woes, W-O-E-S. Remember, a prophet either pronounced a blessing from the oracle God upon the people or woes. And we see five of them. And Habakkuk pronounces God's destruction of Babylon. He waits in verse 1. I stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, chapter 2, verse 1. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. And then in verse 2 of chapter 2, the Lord answered me and said, record the vision, inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. And so Habakkuk was to observe and watch. And then he tells him to write upon tablets. And then these five woes, I've underlined them in my Bible in verse 6. And say, woe to him who increases what is not his. He's speaking about Babylon, about his judgment that will come upon Babylon eventually. Verse 9, woe to him who gets evil gain from his house. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed. Verse 15, woe to you who make your neighbors drink. Verse 19, woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake. And so there's these five woes. The first one is they are guilty of extortion. They in turn will be plundered, which we see historically occurred not long after this in the the account of time. And the second woe is guilty of injustice. They seek to elevate themselves, but they will forfeit their own lives. Uh, Babylon is guilty, number three, of bloodshed and crime, and they would gain nothing from their efforts. The fourth woe is they are guilty of getting others drunk so they could gaze upon their naked bodies. They would in turn be exposed and filled with shame. These are promises from God that he will judge Babylon. The fifth woe is they are guilty of worshiping idols, and they will find that idols are lifeless and useless, and only the sovereign God is alive and worthy of worship. God's point in all of these verses is very clear. You may not like my answer, but I'm in control, and I will take care of the problem. God says, I'm not indifferent to sin. I'll use the evil Babylonians to punish Judah, but I will also take care of the Babylonians. Evil ultimately will not triumph over good. What comfort that truth is today as it was then. I must warn us against the danger of trying to overlay our current condition over Habakkuk, okay? This was specific to time and space. Habakkuk was speaking to Judah. There are principles as we read prophetic literature, one of which is is God's character. What are we learning about God's character? Uh, He's not talking about the United States here. 
although uh, many principles would apply, but he's, we look for God's character and we look for uh, the thing about mankind that never changes. Those are two consistent uh, constances in all of Scripture, God's character, man's character, and what is God doing here. In chapter 3, we see that uh, Habakkuk turns to devotion to God. He praises God's design of his plan and creation. He prays for mercy. Look at chapter 3. This is really a doxology, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear, O Lord. Revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. You can just see Habakkuk crying out, do not forget your mercy. In wrath, remember your mercy. And so he prays for mercy and God's presence in majesty. He goes on to describe God's presence here down through uh, verse 15. And then verse 16 through the end of the book, has he has peace in the midst of this terrible thing that is going on. He's gone from distress uh, to the fact that uh, he can worship God fully no matter what happens. That's why this is a book about faith. And it is so important for you and I today because there are many unknowns out there. Things look bleak on many levels and on many fronts. The world uh, system is all messed up, it seems like, from our perspective. And yet, God is still God. And uh, at the beginning of this book, in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, How long, O Lord? By the end of this, these three chapters, he says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. Quite a change from beginning to the end. The prophet's hunger for an answer was satisfied because he saw the problem from God's perspective. That is always a key to our own problems, whatever our problems may be, whatever the imponderables in our life may be, is to try to see them from God's perspective. How do we know what God's perspective is? Is to look at his word, determine what his character is like, and see how much he cares for you and I. He recognized that God was in control. The circumstances did not change. Nebuchadnezzar came. They threw up the siege ramps. They overthrew Babylon. They carried Judah into captivity for 70 years. But yet, <clears throat> what began as a sob for Habakkuk ended as a song. What started as a concern shifted to confidence. He moved from worry to worship, then anxiety to adoration, from frustration to fulfillment. God does seem to delay his answer sometimes. Have you ever prayed something that is so important to you, so critical to your life, and you've prayed and it seems like the heavens are like brass? God does not answer, it seems like. Or he gives you an answer you do not want, you do not care to hear, and we become impatient. When that overtakes us, turn to him in faith, and we can change our question mark into an upright exclamation mark. God is truly trustworthy. We see in Scripture, and we will see through this little book, that God is always consistent. It's one of his characters. And yet, on one level, he is unpredictable. He is consistent in his nature. You always know where you are with God if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are secure in our salvation. But you seldom know what he is going to do next. Does anybody know what's going to happen in November? No. I mean, we can guess, but we don't know. You cannot find security in what God is doing at the moment because we don't know. We have security in the fact of who God is. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and for your grace and your mercy.
Thank you for this little book of Habakkuk.